Dialectical Behavior Therapy was created in the 1980s by Marsha Linehan in Seattle, Washington. Today, DBT is taught all over the world. We're two therapists who believe everyone can benefit from DBT skills. I'm Kate. I'm Michelle. And And this this is is DBT and Me. Hello, everybody. Hello. Oh, we're so glad you guys are here with us to talk once more about (laughs) radical acceptance today. (laughs) Again and again. And again. Yes, again and again. Yeah, we came up with this idea a while ago to do a second Mm -hmm. episode about radical acceptance because, well, a couple reasons. One, we weren't able to get to all of the material that it talks about in the DBT manual around radical acceptance because there's a lot that it says about it. (laughs) Um, We realized, too, that one of the things we didn't talk about, which we'll get to towards the end of the episode, is this concept of turning the mind just kind of like its own distinct piece of the radical acceptance, willingness, and willfulness <laughs> equation. <laughs> to add in turning the mind, we haven't really explicitly talked about it, so we wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. And also share some ways that we've seen radical acceptance show up in more of our current lives. I mean, I feel like when we talked about our radical acceptance examples the first time, you had gotten the news years prior about being sterile. I had left the world of ballet years prior. Even more years prior. Yeah, that's true. Even more years prior. Yeah, so we were talking about these things that, like, I don't know, even if they've continued to impact us, were really things that had happened years ago when we were actually having to use radical acceptance for them. And the things we're talking about today are current slash very, very recent (laughs) things with radical acceptance. So we're going to share some personally about how we're seeing radical acceptance show up in our lives. We just have a lot of good stuff today with coming back to this topic. So, um, but before we dive in, it's time for awesome self promotion. <laughs> um, so we have a lot of new patrons. Yay! So we're really thankful for all of you. Um, so we are shouting out Erwin, Anna, Madison, and Sheila. Thank you. We're very Thank appreciative. Thank you for becoming patrons. Yes, so appreciate you all. Um, wonderful, wonderful people. Um, and I, I don't know, I will especially shout out um, Madison um, before giving um, above and beyond the $5 patron level. And I feel like someone else might have too, and now I'm blanking on who it might have been. Uh-oh. So if you give above and beyond, <laughs> you get cards from us. It's true. So Madison has cards coming in the mail that will probably be there by the time this episode is released. Um, that's also so that's true. a cool thing. <laughs> um, yeah. And if you want to become a patron, the way to do it is to go to patreon.com slash dbt and me to be like those four awesome humans. And then another way to be an awesome human is to check out our Etsy shop, um, etsy.com slash shop slash dbt and me. Because it is shockingly hard to find, even when you Google dbt and me on Etsy. It's still hard to find the Etsy shop. So go to that exact URL (laughs) and you'll find it there. (laughs) Etsy.com slash shop slash dbt me. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen. And then, of course, like always, send us emails if you have questions 
I mean, and we also would love topic ideas too related to DBT. If there are things that you have questions about and like we haven't covered it yet in an episode as a potential topic, email us topic ideas, dbtmepodcast at gmail.com. And then I suppose finally, if you haven't already, check out our other podcast, The Couch in the Chair, wherever you're currently listening to us. That should come right up if you search for it. So, <laughs> unlike some other things. <laughs> I okay. like it. Awesome. So that having been said, the way that today is going to look, we're each going to share personally. Kate's going to start with talking about, like I was saying, how we've seen radical acceptance show up for us recently. Then we're going to talk about three different factors that make radical acceptance really hard. So when you've maybe thought to yourself, gosh, why do Michelle and Kate, why do, why do Michelle and Kate, I almost said our names totally wrong, <laughs> Michelle and Mate. Why do <laughs> Michelle and Kate say that radical acceptance is the hardest DBT skill? We're going to basically go over the three reasons why it's so hard and talk more about those. And then we're going to, at the end, like I was mentioning, also we're going to talk about turning the mind and the four steps for how you do that piece of things. So that's how today's going to go. And then a closing moment. Um, well, then take and then a closing, closing moment. moment. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yes, we will not. We will not leave off or forget closing moment. We will not do that. <laughs> okay, okay. Your turn to start, Kate. This is this is a, an unusual sensation for this podcast. I normally feel like, mm. oh God, the feels. Um, for- couch in the chair not for this yeah because we do so much personal sharing there. so much um so i guess let's get on with it um uh so i don't know gosh time has passed strangely since covid began um so it's probably more like six years ago now if i think about it mm-hmm. fuck <laughs> Time is going so quickly. Anyway, um, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. But six or actually probably six or seven years ago, I think six years ago, um, I joined a local community choir. Um, and in that choir, there was a woman who I admired very much. Her singing was magnificent. Um, she always carried herself with an incredible amount of like power and self-confidence and I was frankly a little intimidated Uh, (laughs) but I was just very drawn to her she just seemed like someone I wanted to emulate and also wanted to have in my life the kind of energy that would be a good thing to have in my world Um, and I would say that over a year or two of being in the choir together we you know, got to know each other a little bit better, talked here or there, you know, so I became closer acquaintances, uh, I guess you could say. Uh, but it wasn't actually until, well, first she and then I left the choir uh, that our friendship really started to deepen because we didn't have that incidental seeing each other anymore. So if we wanted to hang out or talk or anything else, it had to be more deliberate. Um, and so... We started going on hikes a little bit together and, uh, yeah, just talking, texting, things like that. And I would say relatively quickly once we started having outside, more outside of the um, choir communication, our friendship developed or deepened um, pretty quickly. 
Uh, I, as I'm sure I've mentioned multiple times over the course of the years on the podcast, am a crazy houseplant lady. Um, I was just dipping my toe into houseplantdom and crazy houseplantdom uh, at that, at the beginning of this friendship. And that was something that uh, she and I really got into together. Um, I think I actually might have given her some of her very first plants uh, from clippings from my own plants. Um, and this was just, uh, this was a friend who dove headfirst into things in the same way I do, right? You don't just like, oh, hey, I don't kill houseplants. I guess I will keep a decorative five houseplants and not kill them and be a sane person. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, it's, I like plants. Oh, I can keep plants alive. Oh, I can keep most plants alive. I will own all of the plants. Right? Like, we imported plants together from other countries uh, to, you know, because once you've got all the normal shit, you have to start getting exotic shit, which means you have to look further afield and shipping costs are expensive. So they're better when split. Right. I, um, I think I've mentioned a time or two on here that I, in the last few years, have started exploring more sort of witchy, pagan, spirituality kind of stuff. Um, And that was explicitly started in the context of our friendship. Uh, She decided that she wanted to start exploring those things for herself, someone who was raised very, very Christian. Um, And I was like, hey, I would like to explore that stuff too. I feel like it's been pretty shamed out of me over the course of my existence. And so that became something that she and I got into and explored uh, together and got very into because that's what we tend to do. Um, Various aspects of that, like collecting stones and crystals. She and I got very, very into that together. Um, She's also into gardening and cooking and baking and reading. (laughs) And we basically had or and or developed uh, a near... 100% overlap in hobbies, uh, which absolutely helped. We also had very similar, I don't know, we were just people who got along well. We had similar morals and values and ways of being in the world, both uh, loud and full of laughter. And uh, (laughs) I now know that, sadly, not as confident of human being as she seemed to be, but I'm the same way. People tend to think that I have... I'm just oozing self-confidence, which is not exactly accurate, uh, but I put on a good face. Um, And what started as a, uh, you know, casual acquaintanceship and friendship uh, turned into a texting many times a day, every single day, probably the first person I texted in the morning and last person I texted at night kind of friendship. Um... And it stayed that way for a couple of years, uh, maybe three, I think three years of really close friendship, um, which sounds like a lot of background. And I'm sure Michelle's like, we were going to keep this brief. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's all really helpful. I'm trying. <laughs> um, but that's all the background, right? None of that is something I had to radically accept. I was more than glad to accept Um this presence and friendship and intimacy and connection in and camaraderie in my life. Um, so 
some signs that I ignored on my way to radical acceptance, because of course, radical acceptance has to be at the end of this story somewhere. Um, <laughs> so sometime, hmm, I guess it was probably actually in around this time of year last year, uh, started getting decreasing communication. Like I'd send a message and it would take her hours to respond, which I know may not sound like much, but it was in the context of how our communication had looked. Um, or sometimes like not getting back until the next day, just not saying as much in the texts, right? So communication started decreasing a lot. Um, such that I was consistently checking if I'd done or said something wrong. I thought, I kept thinking I had insulted her or hurt her feelings or done something. Um, she kept reassuring me that it wasn't me. I wasn't doing anything wrong. Nothing was going on. Um, it was just that she was really overwhelmed with work. She worked in the school system. Um, and she just didn't have much in the way of energy or thought to give to anything other than basically survival, right? She was having a really hard time with mental health stuff and just really kind of needed to buckle down and uh, focus in on getting through to the end of the school year. Uh, and so trying to be, <laughs> trying to trust our friendship and trying to be respectful and trying to be someone who like, all right, everyone else is making demands of you. The way I can support you best is by not being someone on the pile of people who are making demands of you. I basically said, Hey, that's okay. Um, I'm here. Uh, but I won't bug you really until the end of the school year, you know, reach out when you're ready, right? Reach out when you're recovered and feeling a little bit better. Cause I, I must've been a little bit later in the year. Cause I don't think it was, April, May, and June that I was sitting around twiddling my thumbs. So probably the decrease in communication started around here and it was sometime in later April or mid-May, somewhere in there, that I intentionally was like, okay, I won't text much, right? Um, let me know how things are going at the end of the school year. Um, and then the end of the school year came <laughs> and went. And I didn't hear anything. But I thought, okay, you know what? It takes time to bounce back, to recover. I was imagining that, poof, immediately at the end of the school year, I would have my friend back, but that might be selfish and unreasonable. Um, but I also got in my head, I was like, oh God, what if the communication wasn't clear? And what if she's waiting for me to reach out, uh, right? And I'm waiting for her to reach out and we're just sitting here waiting for the other person to reach out to reconnect. So I wrote her a letter, like an actual snail mail <laughs> send with a stamp on it letter, um, because I thought that was the least invasive way to communicate, right? So I could say, hey, I'm still here. I love you. I miss you. I can't wait for our friendship to resume. I don't want you sitting over there thinking that you're waiting on me and me sitting over here thinking I'm waiting on you. I'm like, also, if I'm just being an impatient, you know, so-and-so, uh, and you just need more time to recover after the end of the school year, just let me know. And I'm happy to wait as long as you need. And I, I absolutely, I 
ton with every fabric of my being every every cell believed that when that letter arrived i would get a text uh that said hey got your letter um and either so glad you reached out i was waiting on you or you are being an impatient so-and-so give me a few more weeks and then i'll be back or something i got nothing so I tried texting, I tried direct messaging, and I got nothing. Um, and I still, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what to make of it. <laughs> like, I... I was denying reality hard, right? I'm like, did something happen to our phones? Did uh, is she dead? It's like, you know, I absolutely had to field and uh, prevent myself from engaging in all kinds of crazy, I don't know, stalkerish behavior, right? Like, what if I just drive to her house and I'm there when she gets home? Then she can't ignore me, right? Like, what if I just send gifts? <laughs> until she forgives me and takes me back. What if I, right? Like, I mean, I'm not proud of it, but like, I was desperate, right? These were the kinds of thoughts that were going through my head. And for those of you playing the home game, they're awfully good indicators that I was being willful <laughs> and not uh, accepting reality. Um, the moment I would say that I started actually turning down the path of radical acceptance, or you could call it the turning the mind moment. We'll talk about that later. Um, it was, it was a weird thing, actually. Uh, one, one day I opened my front door and there was this enormous, beautiful bouquet of flowers but obviously home-picked. Like, these weren't store-bought flowers. These were someone had gone around some fantastic garden and cut these flowers from their garden and left them on my doorstep. And the, on the only human being I could think of in the entirety of my world that had a garden with flowers like that was her. Was my friend. And... Oh, man, I managed to avoid crying until now. Um, That's gonna stop. Uh, I, I absolutely believe she dropped them off for me. I was like, all right, I don't know what's going on between us. I don't know why you can't talk to me or tell me what's going on, but at least I know you still love me and something will come back. And then I found out the flowers were from my accountant. <laughs> Whose garden I had never seen. And so I had no idea that, uh, <laughs> that she had such a beautiful garden. <laughs> Someday I'll have to see if I can ask to see it. It's really, the flowers were spectacular. Um, but yeah, I went, when I realized that they weren't from her was when I started to uh, appreciate that for some reason... My, I don't know, I'd say 
It's a weird way to put it. You know, back when you were a kid, you absolutely know who your best friend is. But I think as an adult, you end up with several for different kinds of things and ways or purposes. So in some ways, I would say she was my closest friend, perhaps, just because the one that I have mostly in my life at some point always had the a person who I could have the, like, yes, I have texted you 57 times already today. And we're still going, right? Like, there's no, there's equal meeting, right? Like, it's... Uh, anyway, so my closest friend had ghosted me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I had to start radically accepting. I guess it was when I realized that the flowers weren't from her. And I think the last thing was put in when I, <laughs> I engaged, I forgive me listeners, my one little piece of what I would say my least appropriate behavior in this instance, which I did reach out to her husband on Facebook. And I just said, hey, I don't know that this is the case. And please, of course, respect her privacy and, um, you know, everything else, if this isn't something that she would want me to know. But I just thought that if whatever was causing her not to talk to me was something that she just didn't know how to say to me, but maybe she could let someone else say to me, could you say it to me, <laughs> please? <laughs> um, and he said that if she weren't wasn't comfortable talking to me about it, that he shouldn't either. Um, so I guess those two things were when I had to start going, okay, <laughs> I cannot for the life of you explain it, but my closest friend has terminated our friendship with no warning and no explanation. And no goodbye, no closure. Um, so, where am I now? <laughs> um, deep grief. Uh, really, really, really deep grief. Um, I, yeah, haven't had a lot of things that left me feeling this grief filled in my life. Um, confused. Uh, like, to the nth degree. I cannot... A, every single day I still have why right like what the fuck even um, so lots of confusion <laughs> I've been having a real difficulty engaging in my hobbies um, because they were all shared so I can't engage in any of my hobbies without thinking about and missing her terribly um, I've had to give away so many plants. I've probably given away more plants than most people own in their lifetime to try and make it so that the ones I have will actually stay alive because I'm just not giving as much time or effort or energy to them. I've definitely killed some as well. Uh, I, yeah. Yesterday was the first time I baked in probably like eight months. <laughs> um... I just, yeah, I'm having a terrible time engaging in any of the things that I usually do to make myself feel better. So that's been really hard. Um, feeling, uh, ooh, probably the hardest hitting one is feeling like I can't trust myself. Um, because I would have sworn on absolutely everything that I hold dear that I knew for a fact that that relationship was going to last until one of us died. Uh, to lose something that you're that certain of sucks with you. <laughs> um, 
feeling isolated or unsupported or alone or like I have a diff- more difficult time making uh, difficult decisions or changes in my life because she was a big part of my she had a lot of ferocity that I don't have <laughs> uh, and I could borrow that um, in a way um, and uh, definitely some small amount of anger how I mean not how could you disrespect me like that but how could she disrespect our friendship like that like how yeah it just it shocks me every day still um so in short <laughs> my, my end of my notes here is in short I am nowhere near done accepting this reality um this is an act in progress uh I cannot say I have accepted. <laughs> I've not radically accepted this. Well, I have. I have radically accepted this hundreds of times, and I will have to continue <laughs> radically accepting this probably thousands more times. Um, because it's really bone-deep difficult. Um, in part, I will admit, I... <laughs> why is it? Oh, man, that's a that's a thing in, in conjunction, uh, Michelle, both this and my other story of uh, being sterile. I don't know the reasons for either of them! Um, mm. <laughs> which really fucksing make- fucksing? That's a new word. Uh, fucking makes it harder for me. Um, because I don't know what to do with not knowing. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> curiosity killed the Kate and confusion and curiosity mixed with grief is a terrible, terrible mixture for me. Um, so, right, every time I ask why is a little piece of willfulness. <laughs> why me? Why now? Why her? Why this? Um, why? This isn't how this was supposed to go, right? This isn't what was supposed to happen. All right, I've got them down. Man, I could go down a laundry list of non-radically accepting thoughts um, that I then have to notice and be like, right. Even if I psychically intuited the why this moment wouldn't do anything. She's still done being my friend. Like, why doesn't help? <laughs> that clinging to why is a distraction, right? That's a way to not radically accept. It's like somehow if I get the answer, it will change the outcome, which is not true. Um... So yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll go over. There's gonna be some statements later on where we're talking about some of the difficulties. Like these are ways you might notice that you're struggling to radically accept things. Um, yes, check, 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 check. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a work in progress. Uh, one of these days, we're gonna do a part three here, Michelle, and we're gonna let me talk about one where I've done it, <laughs> where it's not a work in progress, where it's a, a done deal one way or the other um because i am so tired of having to share about ones that i'm probably going to be working on radically accepting for a good long time so can i don't know i think like just hearing you share all that you're all that you did about your friendship um and having been by your side through all of it like i found myself almost tearing up a little bit when you were talking about when you got the flowers, because I remember how excited you were when you messaged me and you were just like, Michelle, I think these are from her. And I was like, Oh my gosh, maybe they are. And then it wasn't. And, Oh, 
my heart broke for you that day and hearing you talk about all of it now, I mean, the thing that was coming up for me listening to you is that even though the circumstances can be different for each unique friendship, I just know there are a lot of people listening who have been through exactly what you're talking about, which is friendships ending suddenly and not really knowing the reason. Um, and full transparency, right before Kate and I sat down to record this episode about radical acceptance and we were picking what to share personally, we were like, do you want to, <laughs> which of us should share about our friendship loss? Because I also um, just had a friend end our friendship after a long time. Um, and so it's, I think some of my own stuff was coming up listening to you. And um, so on a practical level, for those of you listening who have also experienced really challenging friendship loss, um, actually in the couch and the chair, we do have an entire episode about this. So we, Kate talks about losing different friendships. She tells a different story than this one. And I <laughs> talk about a friendship loss from a few years ago. Um, but if you're looking for more camaraderie, I guess, around the topic of friendship loss, like Kate was talking about, that episode may may provide it because I don't think it's a thing we talk about very much. We talk a lot about romantic relationship loss and breakups. And we don't mm -hmm. talk as much about how painful it is to lose friendships all of a sudden out of the blue like you did. We just don't talk about it. No. And we should. That's true. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. It would be nice to feel less alone in it sometimes. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um. Okay, I guess on to my sharing. On to um, your sharing. On to my sharing. So I'll just, I guess, say what the thing is that I'm going to talk about, and then I'll explain everything. Um. So basically, the thing that I'm going to be talking about is this dream of finding a forever home and the recent process I've gone through around recognizing that that dream may be harder to reach than I originally imagined. Um, so the background story here, um, when I met my husband and we started dating, which was six years ago now, um, he had just bought a house. Um, he had bought a three bedroom, two and a half bath townhouse and of course, I thought it was like really attractive and sexy that he was a homeowner because <laughs> that is that is an attractive, sexy quality. Um, and basically, after we'd been dating for about a year, I moved in with him um, and we've lived in that same house ever since. So fast forward six years and we live in that house together. We have our son in that house. Um, his mom lives with us. She's lived with him since he bought the house. And ever since the beginning of our relationship, we talked about how we knew at some point we would want to buy a new house together. Even though I like the house that we live in, I have no complaints about it. Um, I didn't pick it. I didn't choose that house. He chose that house on his own. And then I moved in and we, you know, made it feel like our home with our belongings and things like that. But I didn't. I didn't pick that house. And we wanted to eventually choose a house together. Ideally wanting to find a house that maybe wasn't a townhouse. Um, finding a house that would maybe have a yard, something he really wanted. We have a tiny yard now, but it's, you know, not much of anything. Um, 
we just have these dreams that we've talked about from the beginning of our relationship of what we would want someday and that we would really want to have our house that we would buy together be a house that we could see ourselves really raising a family in and staying in as they say forever right that forever home it's really what we've dreamed of since the beginning of our relationship um however it it's just it's been off the table i suppose for one reason or another um financially for a long time it felt too out of reach and we've just had other things going on in our lives you know in 2019 that was when i went into my private practice full time then and we got married (laughs) you know that's kind of sort of maybe a big expense (laughs) to have an entire wedding Um, then in 2020, you know, COVID happened, he lost his job and started a new one. 2021, we were trying to, you know, um, uh, well, we were actually, gosh, time is funny. I was pregnant almost all of 2021. (laughs) It was just like, it was, it was, it's never really been the right time up until now, honestly, um, You know, our son is honing in on 18 months soon enough. And my husband got a new job in August that resulted in him making more money than he had made at his previous job by quite a bit. And so back in the fall, uh, so yeah, fall of 2022, we decided to reach out to the mortgage broker who had helped him buy this house helped us with refinancing the house in 2020 and basically just have a conversation with him to say, hey, we're we're looking at wanting to get our forever home. What steps do we need to start taking to make that happen? So he explained to us that the first step of the process would be going through pre-approval where you more or less submit a whole bunch of documentation proving your income. And then they decide, the bank decides, how much they think you can afford for a house. They shoot you back a number and say, okay, you can you can buy a house that costs X amount of dollars. But he asked us in that phone call, he said, well, you know, Adam, my husband, he said, Adam, what are you making? Okay, Michelle, what are you making? So we gave him some numbers and he said, well, based off of those preliminary numbers, I think you guys could be approved for X amount of money. And he told us a number. We went, awesome. That number sounds great. So we talked to next our real estate agents, the real estate agents who had also helped Adam in buying this house. And at that time, right, this was fall. This was September, October. And our real estate agent basically said, you know, I'd really recommend you guys wait until February. Wait until then to sell the house that you have and to look at buying a new house. Um, And then in the meantime, work on getting your house as ready to sell as possible. So that's what we did. We set about, we did, we got the furnace replaced and we got a new heater. You know, we had painters come in. We had an area of the floor fixed up. We really started investing time and energy. You know, we replaced some light fixtures. We got our house as nice as it could be. And we got a storage unit in December. And we started basically moving out a lot of our, you could say, unnecessary stuff, you know. I have tons of books. I'm not going to read all those books within the next few months. <laughs> Packing things up, getting things out of the house, and really preparing so that in February, we would be ready to make this happen. So in January, that's when we started the pre-approval process. We reached back out to the mortgage broker. We said, okay, we're ready to start submitting our paperwork. And we did. 
And he came back with a number that was well below what he had originally told us. And when I say well below, I mean more than $100,000 below what he had told us. It was a number that, you know, we would ideally like to buy a four-bedroom house. Um, you know, a bedroom for us, a bedroom for Adam's mom, you know, an, an additional bedroom if we have another child at some point. And we just knew what that number he was giving us. We couldn't find any four-bedroom house within that number. It would not be possible in the areas that we were looking in. So what do we do? What happens? Now, my husband's <laughs> first response was, well, this is done. We, we can't do this. We did what we, we did what we were told to do. We submitted our paperwork. This is the feedback. This is over with. And I said, hold on a second. I don't think this is over. And I told him why. And the reason was, was because the mortgage broker had submitted, of course, all of our documentation to the person called the underwriter who works for the bank. And they had horribly miscalculated Adam's pay by like a lot. <laughs> they had calculated his pay as if he worked 34 hours a week instead of 40 hours a week because there was a week or two here or there where he had only worked 34 hours because of holidays or whatever it was. I said, hold on, though. Like these numbers are not right. We need to get these numbers right. This is not over. We need to we need to try again. And the mortgage broker had said, he said, you know, these numbers might look better if you guys file your 2020 your 2022 taxes and do that and then let's try again. And I said, okay. So I talked to our accountant, <laughs> scheduled our taxes immediately. We got our tax return back. Adam did an extensive phone conversation with them to try to explain you know, what was going on with his paychecks, because um, there's a whole lot more to that, to that story. His job was mis documenting his pay wrong. It was a whole lot of things. Um, but we resubmitted. And the same answer came back. We, I think maybe we were going to get approved for $10,000 more. Like, it was still really bad. It didn't make much of a difference. So I reached out to our real estate agents and I said, what, what do we do here? Like, I think we can afford a new house, but this is the answer that we're getting back. And the real estate agent said, I know somebody else you can talk to. Talk, talk to this person I know who's another mortgage broker. She may be able to help you and look at the numbers differently. And I said, okay. So basically, um, I decided to call her, and in the days leading up to that, things just started to feel exponentially harder in ways that I can't really explain tangibly. I, if for any of you, and I don't know how it is in other parts of the country, I know how it is in Washington, um, the interest rates right now on houses are through the roof. And when interest rates are high, it really impacts what your monthly mortgage payment is going to be. So I have this number in mind for what I believed Adam and I could afford to pay as a mortgage payment. But every day I was seeing these interest rates climb. And the more the interest rates climbed, the more I realized the number that I have is getting further and further out of reach. Because so I saw that number maybe a month ago. Now that number is a couple hundred dollars higher because of the interest rates. Whoa. This would be really hard. It felt like the inventory was dropping too. I was just seeing less and less and less four bedroom houses on the market where I felt for a while like I had been seeing a bunch. I felt like I wasn't seeing any. 
So I sat down at the computer and I really tried to crunch numbers. And Adam was actually about, he is currently about to get a raise in like a couple weeks. So we knew this raise was going to be coming, which was going to be a really good raise for him. Um, and so I sat down at the computer one day and I crunched out the numbers of like, okay, this is what Adam's new pay is going to be. This is what our expenses are. This is how much we could afford. And those numbers came out and I was like, oh, this is really much closer than I thought it would be. Uh-oh. This is a problem. This isn't good. How do I... How do I paint this picture to try to prove that we can afford this? Because I really thought we could, and now I was questioning myself. And all along, Adam and I were starting to have a little more conflict between us. Because Adam was like, Michelle, what's the point in talking to this second mortgage broker? I really just think we need to call it quits here. I just, I don't think this can happen. So I was kind of pushing him to keep moving forward. And he was pushing back against me saying, what are you doing? <laughs> like, stop this. So... I did that phone call with the second mortgage broker. And on the one hand, she had really positive things to say um, about how she saw some ways that things could be different from how the first mortgage broker had submitted our paperwork and our numbers. And on the other hand, she told me some things that I didn't know. And she told me about how um, it really didn't look good that Adam had been at this job for less than a year. That just didn't look good to to the banks. Um, it didn't look good that we had taken, um, even for the most legitimate reason in the world, both Adam and I had taken three months of parental leave, but that didn't look good either. That had decreased my income in my business because I wasn't working for a few months. And Adam had gone months without a paycheck um, at his job. So she was explaining, as I told her a little bit of our history, she's like, yeah, none of, none of this looks very good. She said, I can try again for you guys, but like, I don't know if I can wave, I can wave a magic wand. Like, I'll send you an email with the paperwork that I need. Um, and yeah, we, we, we can give it a try. So she did. She sent me an email afterwards to follow up with the list of documentation that she would need. And it was more than what the first mortgage broker had asked for, which on the one hand, I thought was a really good sign. Like, she's going to be super, super thorough here. She's going to try to explore every option possible to get us this house. And on the other hand, I looked at that email, and this is where, like you said, Kate, you know, this is where you kind of start turning the mind. This is where I started to turn the mind a little bit myself, and I went, I don't know if I want to submit all this paperwork again. I just had a moment. I was just like, I don't know if I want to submit all this paperwork. And I kind of sensed on the phone with her that, which I appreciated, and we very well could wind up working with her in the future if we revisit this, but she was honest with me. She was honest with me. She didn't tell me, no, this is done for, there's no hope, but she was also very cautious, and I could hear that in her voice. She was very much like, oh, yeah, like, I can work with you. But da-da-da-da-da. And I thought about it to myself that day, driving in the car somewhere. And I said, you know, all of these barriers that seem to be in our way right now, if we just gave this a little more time, I don't think we'd be facing as many barriers if we decided to just, like, wait a year. Like, let's give this some time and let's pump the brakes for now. 
And I knew what that meant. I knew that that meant either we would pay for a storage unit, which was hundreds of dollars <laughs> a month. These storage units are expensive these days, at least here in Washington. Spend hundreds of dollars. So we would ultimately wind up spending thousands of dollars to keep our stuff in storage for a good year until we might decide to try this again. Or to end the storage unit, save the money, and move everything back into our house. And that thought felt awful. <laughs> I didn't want to do that at all. And yet, I recognized that I was starting to get into a willful place of just like, I'm going to try to explore every single avenue available to us for this. On the one hand, I, I've done that a lot throughout my life and I viewed it as a strength. That it's a good thing to like try to explore every single option. Like don't give up at the first sign of trouble. You keep going until you've truly exhausted all options. And I knew we hadn't technically exhausted all options because we hadn't submitted paperwork to this woman to see what she could do for us. Maybe she would come back with a much better answer. It was an intentional choice to say, you know what? I know there's a potential avenue there to explore and I'm not going to. The reason why is because this is starting to really lead to some issues with me and my husband because we're having very different ideas of how to go about this. And yeah, what if we just gave it some time? What if? What would that mean? And I kind of almost viewed it as like, if you think about that concept of a light at the end of the tunnel, I'm the type of person, as I was kind of just talking about, where I will tirelessly keep walking in that tunnel, <laughs> believing that there is a light at the end. And that's what I wanted to do. I was like, no, damn it. Like, we can get into our forever home. We can do this. <laughs> and then I just kind of was like, you know what? Hey, Michelle, if you just stop walking in that tunnel, just stop. Just stop wearing yourself out. Stop walking and just wait and see if maybe that light will come to you. Because <laughs> maybe it will if you just are patient a little bit longer. So where am I at right now? I mean, uh, this last weekend, my husband, bless his heart, moved everything out of our storage unit. I now have a garage full of boxes. We had to immediately, basically within 24 to 48 hours, I sent that second mortgage broker an email saying, hey, I know this may seem really strange because I know we just talked on the phone and I seemed all in. I've actually had a change of heart. We're not going to be moving forward with this. <laughs> had to tell our real estate agents. Um, and we had already kind of been on that path. I mean, for coming up on six months, like we had been in this mindset of we're going to get this new house. And so it was a tough pill to swallow to go, no, we're not getting that new house. Um, that's not going to happen right now. Um, and so what we've talked about, me and my husband, is that we're going to, yeah, we're going to come back to this probably around this time next year. We learned a lot through this process. We learned a lot about why we weren't getting pre-approved for the amount that we wanted to. But we're just going to get back to living our lives. We're going to move our things back in, get back to our house feeling like a home with pictures on the walls. And we're going to maybe try again later. And 
that is not how I typically would have done things before. It was a tough pill to swallow. And, and and still kind of also, I think, swallowing that pill of like, gosh, we may try this again in a year. And what if, you know, what if interest rates are this high? And, you know, what if we haven't saved up enough money? And, you know, all of that. What if it doesn't work out again? You know, then what? Because um, this absolutely impacts things um, in our lives, um, you know, specifically, potentially the timeline around trying to have a second child. Um, we don't have the space for a second child as long as we're in this house. You know, it, it just kind of changes the way that we saw things playing out. And also, I once I got to that place of realizing that I think it would really reduce my stress to just press the pause button, I felt a huge weight lift off of me. And I knew that I was actually radically accepting that now was not the time for this. And it was hard. And I felt a lot better once I got there. So that's me. And again, I got there, what, three weeks ago? <laughs> like, this is very, very <laughs> fresh and new. <laughs> uh, see, next time, like I was saying, I get the one and done and you get something you're still working on. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we can do that for radical acceptance part three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think there's ever ever an end. But no, I mean, you were talking about being there with me through all of my loss of my friend. And mm-hmm. I've watched you with this house process, right? And I definitely know you are a, in common parlance, a go-getter. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I can appreciate how difficult it is for you to let go um and just not yeah just not (laughs) Mm -hmm. a thing that you have set your mind to so um but i look forward to seeing your awesome house whenever it happens thank Uh, you yeah with a yard Uh, i will say someone who grew up with five acres of yard the itty bitty yards they give houses nowadays i'm like what even though uh, <laughs> it's a strip of grass <laughs> right exactly like ah no privacy um well so to transition though what makes radical acceptance hard we're gonna go over three i don't know factors slash i don't know i kind of think of them as constellations of things um that can get in the way and i'll start off with the first one to read how they put it in the manual they say that the first factor that can interfere with radical acceptance is you don't have the skills for acceptance. You do not know how to accept really painful events and facts. Um, and I'll admit, Michelle and I were actually chatting a little bit about this one uh, before we went today, because my first blush, I was like, wait a second, is it just saying you can't practice radical acceptance because you don't know how to practice radical acceptance. Not knowing how to practice radical acceptance gets in the way of itself. That seems tautological. I don't know what's happening. Michelle! Um, and <laughs> I know I'm the one saying this one, but I'm just blatantly uh, tapping into your uh, viewpoint on it, uh, Michelle, because I liked it a lot better and it makes a lot more sense. Um, which is to say that not all of us were taught these skills. We weren't modeled right? The ability to do this. Um, I know, sure as shit, neither of my parents is really high up on the radical acceptance skill tree. (laughs) They are absolutely bullheaded. I don't think I have a better example of someone not accepting reality until she bends reality to her will than my mother. Um, (laughs) 
uh, my father more uh, fits more of the just go getter more like you, Michelle, than than like holy shit, um, lack of radical acceptance. But you know, I I for one was not taught that. Okay, this is what this is, right? Like kind of headspace or skill or emotional space. Uh, none of that was demonstrated for me. And I know that that's the case for a lot of people, right? And it's, it is a skill, right? While radical acceptance is sort of the title that we give it, you also have to be noticing that you're not doing it, which we'll talk about in a few minutes here when we talk about turning the mind. Um, you have to notice what it feels like. You know, I have to see what it looks like when someone does it successfully. Like there's a lot that can be missing. That's not just my super shallow initial interpretation of not knowing how to do radical acceptance makes it hard to do radical acceptance, which while true, isn't really a separate statement. Um, and this is more that you don't really necessarily even know how to get started right, with radical acceptance, because you don't have necessarily the self-knowledge um, or uh, observed information to, to give you that starting place, which I suspect, though Michelle and I didn't talk about this, is part of what we're hoping to help with by sharing our personal stories, right, that it's all well and good to be like, turn the mind, decide to accept things, voila! Uh, it's, just all, it's all well and good, uh, but it doesn't really let you know what that looks like or sounds like or feels like uh, along the way. And so hopefully, and maybe why there will, maybe there will be a radical acceptance part three, <laughs> where we just find different sizes and types of things yet again uh, to talk about radically accepting because... Uh, again, uh, your mileage may vary, but I, for one, can absolutely own that I was not demonstrated. I did not have these skills demonstrated for me really growing up um, and have had to fight to learn them, I guess, <laughs> over the last, oh, Lord, I'm older than I think I am. Fuck, 20 years. It was 20 years ago that I went into DBT as a, as a client. Um Ah, weird. Um, anyway, yeah, so over the last 20 years, I've had to, I will say, I think I left that first time with something of a shallow understanding of it, and it's mostly by teaching it that I've gotten a better understanding of how to do it myself. Um, so technically 20 years to practice it, but I think more like, I don't know, how long have we been doing this shit? Six? Seven? Oh, gosh. Seven? I mean, I think since like 2015. Eight years? Ah, eight? That does sound right. <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so that's number one, is you don't know how to do it because no one has ever given you an opportunity to see and learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, the second factor that interferes with radical acceptance is you believe that if you accept a painful event, you are making light of it or are approving of the facts and that nothing will be done to change or prevent future painful events. There's a lot in there. Um, <laughs> I think, like, I don't know. Maybe this does feel easiest to reference back what we shared today. <laughs> of that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Kate. But I think maybe there was a part of you that thought, okay, if I really accept that my friendship is over that somehow, like, that's going to actually make it over? Like, if I just keep yeah. 
believing and hoping and trying to reach out, she will come back to me and this will not be done. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yep. And for me, I think, like, I, I had this fear deep down, like, if we don't get our house now, like... will we ever like I kind of thought to myself I was like I don't feel like there's a better time than now so if I accept that we can't get it now then then what does that mean and I came to see that that actually wasn't true (laughs) now maybe wasn't the best time for some reasons um but kind of that piece about like nothing will be done to change or prevent future painful events right um that if I radically accept this, like I'm creating some kind of painful event in the future. And actually, I think what it really is, is that when we radically accept, we're choosing to hopefully prevent or stop. If it's already, if the pain is already turned into suffering, we're hopefully trying to end the current suffering rather than staying in it. The reality is that painful events will always happen in life sometimes very close together, sometimes with lots of time in between, but painful events are inevitable. And it's just all about how am I going to view this current painful event in my life? If I can, yeah, be able to accept what is about this current situation, then hopefully it will be something where then I'm able to take a step back from it. A little bit so that whenever another future painful event comes along I've hopefully done some healing around this current painful thing um that's kind of how I how I view it but yeah I mean we definitely I think have heard things like that come up in groups of like yeah a, a lot of okay if I accept it that must mean I'm approving of it I'm saying it's okay right and and certainly not it's saying you know, I don't want this thing to cause me suffering anymore. That's re- that's really all it is with accepting a painful event. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like that. I think sometimes of radical acceptance as the art of accepting the unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. um, though it can also certainly be for smaller things. I think we still tend to talk about radical acceptance for on average, large life events, maybe the next, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, maybe radical acceptance part three is radically accepting the small stuff. Um, because it can be used that way too. It can, uh, well, moderate, I guess not itty bitty things, but, <laughs> or mm-hmm. you probably can and do radically accept the itty bitty things all the time. Um, so the last, well, last listed factor that interferes with radical acceptance is emotions get in the way. So unbearable sadness, anger at the person or group that caused the painful event, rage at the injustice of the world, overwhelming shame about who you are or guilt about your own behavior are some of the ones that they list here. What is strange to me is that fear doesn't make an appearance on that list. Yeah, which I think is huge. (laughs) Yeah, that's strange to me. I would say fear is probably the one. Fear or maybe unbearable sadness are the ones that Mm -hmm. get in the way the most for me. But um, fear, absolutely. So just just put fear in there, listeners. It. I'm sure it's an oversight. Um, 
Right, but this is, uh, not to just continue to pitch DBT, but I would say this is a lot where, like, distress tolerance, the rest of the distress tolerance skills come into play, right, uh, is that, yeah, it is absolutely incredibly difficult to radically accept things that are causing you unbearable sadness, anger, rage, fear, shame, or guilt, or other hosts of unpleasant emotions. Um, there can be, speaking of fears, and I think you're talking about this, this sort of, um, I don't know, meshes well with what you were talking about with the second factor is, right, you have this fear of, like, I don't know, that if I accept it, I'm saying that these emotions are okay, or maybe even that I'm prolonging this emotion, right? If I accept or this like reality. If, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, it's okay. I, I think sometimes, too, like, I've had it for myself, like, okay, if I accept... If I accept this thing, well, then that means that the emotion that I'm feeling about it, then the emotion oh, valid? should just go away. Oh, yeah. that the emo- <laughs> Yeah, like the emotion isn't valid anymore. Like, okay, if I can accept that, you know, this friendship is actually over, then I'm not going to feel sad about it anymore. Like, yep. Sometimes I think emotions come up with radical acceptance, like they commingle in that way too, where we tell ourselves, like, okay, mm-hmm. radical acceptance is supposed to make the emotion stop. No, not how it works. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't end when you want it to end. And um, I think sometimes it can feel like that sense that it cheapens it, or like you don't want it to end, right? Like, oh, if I radically accept this, I'll stop being sad, and I don't want to stop being sad. She was my friend. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be done grieving, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. like you're supposed to hasten yourself out of your emotions if you radically accept it. Or, well, if I can radically accept this, I never should, quote unquote, have been this upset in the first place. Uh, right? So all of these, oh, there you go. Maybe what we ought to reference back is just the emotion myths episode. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> Probably a oh, whole a bunch of emotion myths that come up with uh, with radical acceptance. But the truth mm-hmm. of the matter is, while your emotions may shift in a you have less suffering, like Michelle was talking about, way it's not just gonna poof. There go your feelings. Um, so don't have that unreasonable expectation of it. And also, your feelings are valid. However, they do or don't change in there about the thing you're trying to radically accept. Um, it doesn't cheapen it or lessen the validity of your feelings to radically accept the situation. Um, and if mm-hmm. it's just the feelings themselves you're struggling with, right? See other emotion regulation and or distress tolerance skills, I would say. Yeah. Good explanation, Kate. Thanks. Okay. So we're going to transition into the last piece here, which is to talk about turning the mind. I'm going to read out the definition that's in the manual, and then we're going to take turns going over the four steps for how to turn the mind. If you're like, what is that and how do I do it? We're about to tell you. Okay, so to start off with what it is, the definition says turning the mind is like facing a fork in the road. You have to turn your mind toward the acceptance road and away from the road of rejecting reality. Turning the mind is choosing to accept. The choice to accept does not itself equal acceptance. It just puts you on the path. This is how I boil that down. Because I I am so the kind of person, like you said, Kate, like I am a go-getter. 
I'm the type of person that once I set my mind to something, I see only one road in front of me. And that is the road to achieve what I want, whatever that thing is. And I view it as turning the mind as kind of this, you know, realization that, oh, I may want things to go a certain way very, very strongly. And also, I have to remember and accept that I am living in a world full of other people and other factors and other events, and things may not go my way. That's how I view it. Like, the moment that you have that thought of like, huh, this isn't really going my way, is it? This seems to be going in a very different direction than I saw it going, right? This is harder than I thought it would be. I'm feeling yet more sadness than I expected to feel. Whatever it is, if you have that moment of this isn't going according to my plan, you're starting to maybe open up to realizing, huh, there's another path here. There, some other things are going on and unfolding, whether I want them to or not. What are those other things? And we tried to name that, I think, in each of our sharing, which was, yeah, like for me, it was this acceptance when I saw that, where, or that yeah, again, just like realizing, I don't think, again, I it took me another day, which honestly was very quick, radical acceptance. It does not always go as quick as it did for me with the house stuff. Um, but yeah, I just had that moment when I saw that email come in from the mor- from that mortgage broker where I was just like, oh, this isn't how I saw it going. I didn't think she'd ask for all this, right? Like I was just very consciously aware of like, this is starting to feel like an uphill climb. And like you said, Kate, for you, it was getting the flowers. And you thought, yeah. oh, these must be for my friend. Oh, wait. The universe just threw a big curveball at me because these are not from my friend. Oh, God, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's just that moment of realizing that there are things that happen that are outside of our control. And we either get to get curious about those things and what path we might go down if we start. I kind of, again, classified as like following the universe's lead, but you can think of that however you want. Some people might think of that as God. Some people might think of it, I don't know, as not the universe or God, just <laughs> life circumstances happening. Um, but yeah, it's just realizing like, oh, there's there's another option here rather than just the way that I envision things going. That's kind of how I think of it. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about that, but I'm not the quite the driven human being that you are. So I think for <laughs> me, this is... Um, actually really tied together with the first step here uh, that they have, which mm-hmm. is observe that you're not, a, that you're not, a, that, ha, I can talk, observe that you are not accepting. Um, because I think for me, that's just like, I'm, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I want to talk about riding a horse. I was like, that is not a universally shared experience, Kate. Uh, the <laughs> that's a metaphor. Um, if you've ever tried to be on a horse that's really trying to eat the grass on the side of the road that you're walking down, that that is what turning the mind is in my head. And to let the horse eat the grass and finish, and then you keep going, or you get to keep trying to tug the horse away, like that kind of a thing. Yeah, cool. I was going to say that that tugging the horse away from where it wants to go is me tugging my mind back towards radical acceptance. Mm. I really want to mm-hmm. go down the unaccepting path, 
But I have to keep like, nope, we're not going there. Nope, that's not what we're doing. Nope. <laughs> it's just a lot of that. And the way that I know that it's time to nope, right, is to notice in the first place that I am, right, not accepting. So some of the things they say to look out for are looking out for anger, bitterness, annoyance, um, if you're avoiding emotions, um, some of those statements that I was talking about in my share, why me? Why is this happening? I can't stand this. It shouldn't be this way. Right. Michelle, maybe this isn't how I saw this happening. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. It shouldn't be this way. Definitely hits home for me. <laughs> I, right. Minus the why. Why is this happening? <laughs> right. Uh, but no, if you can look back at your own life, you probably have some emotions or turns of phrase or other things that are your personal red flags, shall we say, for you not accepting reality. And that'd be a good thing to do some exploration around journaling, talking it out, just thinking prolongedly. Um, like, what are your signs uh, that you can look out for um, to show you that you're not accepting? Because you have to notice that you're not doing it before you can decide to do it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I kind of think of that first one as like, notice if you're being willful. Yes. That's really what it's talking about. If you know what willfulness feels like for you, try to notice that if you're feeling willful. So uh, the second step says, oh, so hard what I'm about to say. Go within yourself and make an inner commitment to accept reality as it is. <laughs> oh, this is so not- cheesy to me. Sorry. Exactly. I was like, this is not beautiful or flowery. This is not. This is likely going to look like shedding a lot of tears. This is likely going to <laughs> look really messy because this is probably going to come with some grief. You are, again, if you're facing that fork in the road like it talks about, and you've been already on or trying so much to go down that one path, that you really want, this is you consciously saying, I'm going to leave this path. And if you've already been walking down it for a while, like I felt like I'd been walking down this path of getting a new house for months. It's, it's literally, if you think of it like this, turning around and saying, well, now I've got to walk back to the beginning. <laughs> All that time I spent putting into this, okay, now I've got to get out of it, right? Got to go back to the start and decide that I'm going to walk down this new path that I don't know what the hell is down there. <laughs> I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if I'm going to like that path once I get to the end of it. I may not. But I'm recognizing that, right, taking that the devil I don't know might be better than the devil I do know. That's really what it is. Oh, but that is so tough. I don't think I have much more to say about that second step other than that no. it is tough and difficult to decide to let go of what you were holding on to so dearly. And that's what you're doing here. You're deciding to let go of what you really, 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 really wanted and open yourself up to what else might come your way. But yeah, you have no idea what that is at this point when you're turning the mind. You don't know. So yeah, it's a little scary. It is. Uh, so step three, uh, I like is <laughs> do it again over 
and over, which is why when you said it's radical acceptance again, I was like, and again and again. All right, keep turning your mind to acceptance each time you come to the fork in the road where you can reject reality or accept it. I guess maybe this is even more so the uh, the part of turning the mind that is like the horse to me, right? Like this is That's again, what and, I was again thinking. and again yeah. and again and again, right? <laughs> like, it's like mindfulness. Just keep yes. bringing it back. <laughs> exactly. Yes. It's like mindfulness. It's the mindfulness kittens and the horse of Kate's childhood, apparently in the same place. Um, but uh, yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> speaking of things, I don't know how, how much to say much more about because uh, it, it is just it's about repetition. Right. Michelle and I, I think, talk a lot about how a lot of times um, radical acceptance isn't a one and done. Right. It is a repeated or even just ongoing process uh, might be something that takes months might be something that takes the rest of your life and you never are complete and you're still having to do it again over and over right and sometimes you might take little flights of fancy down the wrong road i just want to normalize that um and you can still turn around and come back right if i get too lost in the weeds of why <laughs> Um, I can be like, oh, right, that's not helpful. Come on back, right? Like back to acceptance. Um, so don't, don't judge yourself, uh, if you end up a little further down the track sometimes before making the U-turn, um, just so long as you do it and do it and do it, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, as needed, right? Over and over and over again, every time you have the choice so yep. yeah so yeah the final step oh what was yes. that kate oh i said so yeah and then i said damn it <laughs> oh <laughs> our zoom call glitched for a quick second okay final step step number four it says develop a plan for catching yourself in the future when you drift out of acceptance now the manual gives no guidance or direction about what it entails to develop a plan for catching yourself in the future. But I actually, <laughs> I think maybe have an example here for myself. So one of the things, and maybe other people who have, you know, had, who have been in that process of looking for a new house or dreaming about a new house or whatever it is, if you like download apps like Redfin or Zillow or whatever it is, Boy, I mean, for months, I was on Redfin every single day browsing houses. It really became like my time filler. You know, if I had a couple minutes to fill, rather than like going to say Facebook or social media, I was going on Redfin. I was like, ooh, what new houses are here? Getting multiple emails a day and all this stuff. And I knew for myself, okay, if we're really going to not do this right now anyways. I need to delete the Redfin app. Like, nope, no more. No more doing that. There's no point in looking at houses right now. No, no reason to do it. So I did. And still sometimes in these last couple of weeks, I'm like, oh God, all I want to do is look at Redfin because I feel like if I don't look, then it's like I'm letting the dream die entirely, which we're not letting the dream die entirely, right? We're not saying, oh, just because it didn't work this time, we'll never, you know, this is the house we're always going to live in. No, like... We are going to try again to move, but I recognize that if I 
try to browse and scroll through other houses right now, that is me in some way holding on to something that I've agreed to let go of, right? Like to walk away from. So I need to actually do that and not come back to this until we are actually pre-approved <laughs> for an amount that we can afford. Like I need to walk away from this for a year and then maybe try again and also recognize within myself that I could need to walk away again. Um, but that was part of, I guess, the plan that I came up with for myself was, nope, I am deleting the Redfin app. I am not going to look at or daydream right now. I'm just not going to do it. Um, so that was it for me. I don't know, Kate, like I'm, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like this has come up a lot with you and I, um, that like you mm -hmm. do, you text me when you're, when you're missing her, like yeah. you, you let me know. Um, and that maybe that's part of like your plan of like, hey, when I do have feelings of sadness come out around this, rather than fantasizing about how can I reach out to my friend and how can I try to get her back, yeah. I'm just going to tell somebody, hey, I'm feeling really sad about her today. Like, I'm really yeah. missing her today. Maybe that's part of it for you. So I don't know what it could look like for you, listener, with whatever you're struggling to radically accept. But those were some examples I thought of for us for that four step. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, it's like find connection somewhere else, right? Remind myself that, like, you know, your brain can get kind of crazy and be like, that was your only friend. Right? Like, which is demonstrably untrue. <laughs> And mm -hmm. so to be like, right, no, look at these other people. I can reach out to these other people who love me and with whom I have a strong connection and, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah. Then get crazy and be like, Michelle, you're never allowed to leave me. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Josh. Right. What is a takeaway for today? Um, I think, well, <laughs> I mean, most practically, probably just the better way of looking at that factor that interferes with it, of thinking of it like more as a not having the skill modeled. Um, and I don't know, I appreciate that uh, you and I had such different shares in a like, well, one is you can't control other people. And one is there are just factual things about the universe that you sometimes cannot control um mm -hmm. right so more not to say you don't have feelings but like more of a cold thing right not a relational thing but just like cold hard right. facts we want it to be like... yeah exactly really intentional about not sharing two relational things because we could have but yeah we were like no we're not going to do that because the listener yeah. actually pointed out at one point which was really interesting with our first radical acceptance episode and the two examples we shared we both shared something about our bodies um, oh, yeah. Which true. was really interesting. And I hadn't thought about that. But they were like, how can I use radical acceptance for other other things? things? And I was like, huh, good point. So, yeah, you're totally right. We wanted to share two very different examples today. Uh, yeah, and I like that. I just like the breadth of what that looks like. So, mm. And mm -hmm. God damn it, emotions are hard. There you go. Those are my takeaways. <laughs> What about you? Yeah. Um, gosh, I think the thing that I'm taking away, because we don't actually really talk too much about turning the mind when we teach radical acceptance. What we do when we're leading groups is that all in one night, you guys, in one evening, we talk about radical acceptance 
and willingness and willfulness all in one night. So we just very quickly gloss, gloss over turning the mind. We're basically like, here's a handout, read it later. Okay, keep it going. Um, exactly. And not that I think, <laughs> yeah, and not that I think there's necessarily a way to like, uh, find the time out of thin air to talk about it more, but I think I actually like really with us taking some time to talk about it today and like hearing myself read the definition aloud about just like mm-hmm. how it really is this intentional choice to like recognize, okay, what I want may not happen. And just, I have to start considering that there could be another option here. Um, because again, I'll reference back our first two stories. <laughs> like, you know, to even like for you to recognize oh, gosh, I can't have biological children. What? (laughs) That's the only option I'd ever considered. And for me to recognize I wasn't going to have a career in dance, oh, that was the only option I had ever considered was becoming a professional ballet dancer. So that this really is the only way that you ever get to radical acceptance is by recognizing, oh, this is, there's got to be something thing else here because I didn't think there was but now I'm realizing there must be even though I don't know what it is and even if I don't like it there's something else here (laughs) yep so yeah I think that's what I'm taking away is just like oh we've never talked about turning the mind this much and I'm actually really (laughs) glad we did because I think it you know may impact how radical acceptance is taught in the future with perhaps a little more emphasis on it yeah. All right. Um, also, closing before moment. we dive into, yeah, oh. closing moment. Before closing um, moment. I was going <laughs> to yes, closing moment. And <laughs> I'm saying this in <laughs> real time to Kate and all of you listening. Um, we've done this once or twice before where, you know, um, Kate and I block a certain amount of time for podcasting. And sometimes we get carried away and we get extra chatty. And I still want to respect those boundaries that I've put in place for myself. So I think tonight I am going to dip out before closing moment um, to go eat dinner with my son and my parents. Um, But yeah, I'm so glad we decided to do this episode. I I feel really proud of it. So I'm sure the closing moment will be (laughs) awesome. You'll find out. You're going to leave and then we're just going to have a party, myself and all the podcast listeners who are somehow going to do that with me now. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a wild closing moment over here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you enjoy that closing moment party. um, All right, you enjoy your dinner. (laughs) All right, so let's do this closing moment. Take a second to just get comfortable, whatever that means for you right now. You can sit down, stand up, lay down, whatever feels good and right in your body. And if you're safe and feel comfortable doing so, I invite you to go ahead and close your eyes. To start, we're just going to notice our breath. You don't need to breathe any more slowly or any more deeply than you do naturally. It's just about paying attention. Just about noticing the rhythms and the sensations of your breath and letting them welcome you. 
into your body and into the present moment. All right, for the visualization today, I'd like you to go ahead by, go ahead and start by just bringing to mind something you might be struggling to accept right now. If, as we were talking about, some of those ways to notice that you're struggling with acceptance, questions of why, statements that it shouldn't be this way, acting as though reality might not be real. That's a good indication that that might be something you can pick for today's exercise. Ideally, not something too huge or overwhelming. I'm not trying to take you to too difficult of an emotional place. But something you're struggling with. Something you don't like. Something you wish were different and are struggling to realize it can't be. Once you have your situation in mind, I'd like you to picture standing at a fork in a road. As you look down one path, I want you to try to imagine what it would look like to continue walking down the path you're on right now. Feeling the way you're feeling, thinking or believing the way you're thinking or believing, behaving in the way you're currently behaving. What does that road look like? How difficult is it? Is it incredibly difficult at the start, but then it looks like it gets easier down the line or quite the opposite? Does it look really quite comfortable and easy to start with? But if you look far enough down the line, you can see it gets pretty gnarly. Just take a moment to consider what will life look like, feel like, be like, if you keep walking down this road? I'd like you then to, in your mind's eye, look down the other side of the fork in the road and assign to this side what it might be like if you accepted reality. If you practiced turning the mind and radical acceptance, what would that road look like? Where would it take you? Just like you did with the first road of staying going like you are now. Imagine the radical acceptance road. What does it look like? Where does it lead? Can you see the end destination from where you are? Is the road clear or obscured, overgrown, paved? Just like the other, does it start easy and get harder or start incredibly hard and get easier as it goes? Just take some time to consider what's different on this fork. 
How might it feel to be there, to be halfway down that road? And this is just for considering. This is just for taking a look and noticing what scares you down the road of acceptance or down the road of not accepting reality. What motivates you down each road, whether it be to reach towards something or avoid it. This visualization may not match what will really occur, right? None of us are fortune tellers or psychic. We don't know what either path will actually look like or feel like, but this is a chance to feel out your own reactions, your own internal landscape or reality. Just notice how it feels. Notice what thoughts come up. Notice what inclinations you have, what yearnings, what fears. Just as information. Just to take with you to walk away today and think a little bit harder about maybe accepting reality. And if not, Maybe you'll have an understanding of why you're choosing not to right now. But for now, you can go ahead and let that vision fade from your mind and try and let the situation you're grappling with fade as well. Take a moment to reground yourself in your body. Maybe take two or three slow, deep breaths, exhaling for longer than you inhale. You might try rotating wrists or ankles, shoulders or neck. Whatever feels good and right to your body in the moment. And when you feel ready, you can go ahead and open your eyes. Thanks so much, everyone. And we'll talk to you soon. To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.